Good morning. My name is Bruce. Welcome to Crosspoint. Welcome to Daring Faith, the key to miracles. We are on day one. Growth groups all begin this week. And as Tony mentioned, if you haven't already signed up for one, you need to see Vicki get a book and get plugged in. Um, today's message, you just might want to call it How to Get Ready for a Miracle. Jesus is going to perform a miracle today that is mind-blowing. All four Gospels mention this, not just the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, John even writes about this. There's only two things in the Bible that all four mention. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and this miracle here that we're going to see today. Why, why do we do these campaigns at the, the first of a new year? Why do we go to... Rick Warren and Saddleback Church, that great church that uh, is turning 40 years old this week, and say, Rick, what do you have to help us grow? He does a campaign every year, and we get to take advantage of those. He says, this would be good for you. You're going to want to use this one. And, and we all need to have faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Daring faith. Growing Sowing and going. Those are the three things we're going to be focusing on the next six weeks. And we got three wonderful passages to talk about each one of them. Let's take a look at, first of all, growing. The Bible says in Colossians 2.7, Let your roots grow down. I haven't got this memorized, so I'm going to need this. All right, I'm going with notes. I'm going back up plan. Let your roots grow down into Him and draw upon His nourishment. Who's, when your roots go down into Jesus, they come back up with what? Nourishment. Nourishment from Jesus. We just ate the Lord's Supper, our, our spiritual food. Jesus is our spiritual food. Why? So you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous. And then he talks about sowing. 2 Corinthians 9.6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He is talking about the law of sowing and reaping. Of getting, or giving and getting. Those two things go together all the time in Scripture. And, and God wants us to be Christ-like. God wants us to be like His Son. And you're never more like Jesus than when you are giving. For God so loved the world that He gave. Want to be like Jesus? Be a giver. And then going. Here's, here's Abraham's great commission in Hebrews 11, verse 8. It was by faith... Abraham obeyed God's call to what? Go. We're called to go into all the world. I think starting right here in Southern California, right where we live. Go, Abraham, to another place that God had promised to give him. He left his own country without knowing where he was going. And so we're going to be looking at these three areas of faith. Uh, growing, giving, and going. So why are we doing these three things? Number one, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans 14.23 says, Anything that's not done in faith is sin. 
And we don't want to sin. And then Matthew 9.29, a verse we're going to be looking at a lot during this campaign. As a matter of fact, if you're in a growth group, this is your memory verse for this week. According to your faith will it be done to you. And so God wants to develop our faith. Let's, let's talk about these three purposes of daring faith. Number one, to advance our spiritual maturity by strengthening our faith. Look back at your life as a Christian. You say, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Well, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Or have you been a Christian one year, 10 or 20 times? Because you haven't grown. God expects growth. There ought to be some visible change in our lives if we are growing. And so, faith is kind of like a muscle. A muscle gets stronger, it gets developed by stretching it, by putting it under tension, by putting it under pressure. That's how it gets developed. James puts it like this. When your faith is tested, there's that pressure, your endurance has a chance to grow. So, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. God wants you ready for anything, but you've got to develop and stretch your faith. When was the last time you said, God, I really want to grow. I really want to stretch my faith. I'm going to really reach out in faith and do something for you. Well, I, I say it starts this year. I say it starts by joining us for Daring Faith if you haven't already signed up to do so. Stretch your spiritual muscles. Number two, to enhance our relational unity by cooperating together. When people, <clears throat> when the saints, when the church is in unity and has a common cause, and has a common goal, it brings us together. It unites us. We become closer. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a, a, a commercial. Uh, if you have a bulletin this morning, would you pull it out? If not, let's go ahead and put up on the screen uh, a little RSVP message. Uh, because Wednesday night, the 29th of this week, from 6 to 8, we're going to get together for dinner and the leadership is going to be sharing some of our dreams, some of our hopes, some of our ambitions uh, for this year. And we want you to be a part of it. You're in the family. You're in the body. And I've never used one of those things, but you see that little, that little gitchy-goo there? It's a QR thingy. Take a picture of that and RSVP. It's okay to text in church right now. Normally we say no, 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 no. Right now, if you haven't already RSVP'd, it's okay to text in church or hit that little skew thing and it'll work its magic. And that way we know how much food to order, all right? Because we don't want to waste God's money. So make that happen. But let's take a look at this verse. Let's look at this first century church, the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, The believers in Jerusalem... At that church, they were united. I like that. I love unity in a church. How were they united? In their hearts and spirit because they shared all that they had with each other. In fact, people would sell what they owned, even their homes, and gave the money as an offering. They would sell a home or some property, and they would lay it at the apostles' feet, and they would say, 
Let's grow the kingdom. Let's reach more for Jesus. These people were united. God wants our church to be united as well. And then thirdly, to finance our ministry by our offerings. And I hope we don't have any first-timers here today going, oh man, my first time to church, and there they go, talking about money. That's all the church ever talks about. No, it isn't. We talk about faith. We talk about growth. But part of talking about faith and growth means you talk about money. I mean, the ministry has to be funded. If you're a member of a gym and you like nice equipment and you like it air-conditioned in the summertime and warm in the wintertime and you like nice showers and all that kind of stuff, you don't mind paying your membership dues, do you? We expect to, but in the body of Christ, saving souls is not cheap. It is expensive to carry out ministry in an effective way. And God expects His church members to fund that. That's on us. We, we do not have bingo night. I grew up in Downey and a church down the street actually had bingo night and that was one of their fundraisers. We do not do car washes. God expects His kids to fund the ministry, and the work of the church. Here's, here's, here's what Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10.15. He says, What we're hoping for is that as your lives grow in faith, see, faith is always the key to this. It always gets back to faith, doesn't it? You'll play a greater part within our expanding work. And the work at Crosspoint should be ever-expanding. For, for those of you that are new, in 1938, about 40 believers got together at the women's club up on Comstock and Bailey, and they rented some space, and that's where we started meeting. And then, uh, not long after that, they moved over and bought a church building uh, on Milton. And then in 1950, you're sitting in a building that was built in 1950. And in the mid-60s, they added on this wing. And in the mid-80s, we added on the Family Life Center out there. What you see at this church happened because church members had faith in the past. And what you see, anything going forward, the pioneers built. And now, here comes the homesteaders. We're all in this together right now. we got to continue to build. Everything you see was purchased by faith by believers. That is God's plan. And Paul says it should be an ever-expanding plan. Now, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Let's read this one off the screen. I'm going to trust it. Bigger print. Since you already excel in so many ways, and our church does excel in a lot of ways, much faith, gifted teaching, knowledge, so much enthusiasm, so much love. Now I want you to grow and excel in the ministry, watch this, of generous giving. Did you know that Crosspoint has a ministry of generous giving? We do. You say, oh, really? Who's in it? I'm looking at them. You're all in it, right? If you're a member at Crosspoint, that is God's plan. Member-funded. Now, here's something that you'll never find me do. I will never pressure you to give. God doesn't 
pressure his kids to give. As a matter of fact, if I do pressure you, you miss the blessing. Because you're giving because I'm pressuring you. God, His plan is that you give joyfully. As a matter of fact, look, look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under pressure. Because if you give under pressure, you're not going to get the blessing anyway. But here, if you give joyfully, watch what happens. For God loves a cheerful giver. And it's the Greek word, the root word is hilarity or a hilarious giver. That's how joyful you are. God can bless that kind of giving. Now, here are four things you can expect as we go through the next six weeks of daring faith. Number one, you'll see miracles. Number two, <coughs> you'll grow spiritually. Number three, you're going to be hassled by Satan. And number four, you're going to experience joy. You say, why am I going to be hassled by Satan? Well, because he doesn't want you to see miracles in your life. He doesn't want you to grow spiritually. And he doesn't want you to experience joy. So he's going to try to mess up your plans. There's going to be a time you're not going to feel like going to growth group or showing up here on Sunday morning. Don't listen to, the, to Satan's lies. You just show up anyway and hack him off, all right? Let's show. You mean, Bruce, if, if I don't feel like coming, but I come anyway, God's pleased with that? Yeah, because you're doing it in faith. You're doing it in faith. Faith always pleases God. And it hacks the devil off and gets him off your back. And by the way, uh, because growth groups do begin this week, you need to get a book and you need to belong to one because really 75% of uh, this series or this campaign, as we're sort of calling it, Daring Faith, takes place in a growth group or in your home with your daily quiet time. Because in your workbook, you got your memory verse and you got your little daily devotional. So if you only show up for the lessons on Sunday morning, you are missing 75%. You're only getting 25% of the benefit of daring faith. Now, you want to see a miracle this morning? You want to read about one, and Jesus does, that all four Gospels mention? It's found in Mark chapter, well, the event we're going to look at today comes from Mark 6, 34 to 44, and it's called the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. Um, you, you might want to call this how faith in Jesus turns a little into a lot. And the background to this miracle is Jesus's out in the middle of nowhere. He's in the Judean desert, the wilderness. And a um, bunch of people follow him. Jesus has a tremendous following. They, they, they love Jesus' teaching because he, he, taught, he, he taught them as one having authority, not like the religious leaders of the day, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Man, Jesus was a great teacher. And... Uh, they follow him out in the middle of the wilderness, <clears throat> and they only mention 5,000 men. They don't mention the women, and they don't mention the kids. So what do you think we got? Uh, one man, one woman for every man, there's 10,000. A couple of kids, you could be upwards of 20,000. You've got a small stadium here, right? 
This is one huge miracle. Now you know why all four Gospels mention it. It, Mind-blowing miracle that Jesus is about to do. So it's kind of getting late in the day. Jesus has been teaching all day. Uh, It's time to wind things down, send the people home. But Jesus knows they're hungry. The disciples know they're hungry. And Jesus says, hey guys, come on over here. Before they leave, let's give them something to eat. You feed them. Whoa, you're one of the twelve. What are you thinking? Impossible, Jesus. Jesus loves to do the impossible. Jesus loves to challenge His disciples to work with Him and to partner with Him in impossible tasks. And so we're going to see four principles for the preparing and making of a miracle. Are you ready for it? Principle number one. Admit I have an unsolvable problem. Just got to come to grips with that. Admit it. I mean, why why pray for a miracle if you really don't need a miracle? You know, someone comes and says, oh, Bruce, pray for me. I need a miracle, man. I need to lose some weight. Pray that God will help me to stay on this diet. I need a miracle. You don't need a miracle. You just need to stick to your diet, all right? (laughs) That's not miracle-type material, all right? (laughs) But you'll know it when you need a miracle. When only a miracle will do, you pray for a miracle. Mark 6.34, when Jesus saw a large crowd, <clears throat> he had compassion on them. And so he began teaching them. By this time, it was late in the day. We're shortening this, but that's an important line there. So his disciples came and he said, this is a remote place. Send them away. What a, what a great spirit these 12 had, right? Yeah, get rid of the folks. Send them away. So they can go and get buy something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Whew. Right back at you. They said that would take eight months of a man's wage. So let's take a look at three typical responses when only a miracle will do. And God is challenging us to step up and do a miracle. Here's the first stage. We procrastinate. By this time, it was what? Late in the day. Now, don't you know the disciples had to have seen this coming, right? I mean, upwards of 20,000 people out there, they're taking in the Word of God, they're feasting upon it, but it's now late in the day, and they've all got to be getting hungry, I'm sure the 12 were getting hungry, but they did nothing about it. They didn't make any plans. They didn't have any ideas. Well, I think they had one idea, send them away. But they didn't, they procrastinated. Procrastination does not solve your problems. As a matter of fact, it makes it worse. I mean, what what if the doctor calls you in? Hey, we ran some blood tests. This doesn't look good. We need to come and bring your spouse. This actually happened to us. And uh, they said, you have cancer. Not me. My wife had cancer. All fixed up. But let's, let's put you in this story. 
you have cancer, okay? Your doctor's just told you, and it's the aggressive kind of cancer. One of those things that can't be put off. It's not slow moving. It, it moves fast, and so what do you got to do? Move fast. You don't mess around when you've got a fast-moving cancer in your body. And yet, I wonder how many people in this room are procrastinating about a very serious problem they are facing. Maybe it's a marital problem. Maybe you know you and your spouse need to talk about something, but you've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Procrastination does not help your problem. It only makes it worse. Maybe it's a financial issue. You know, I mean, you're so depressed now you're not even opening the bills. Don't do that. It will get worse and worse and worse. Maybe it's a health issue that you're face facing and you don't want to deal with it and so you keep putting it off maybe if i don't go to see the doctor maybe if i don't deal with it it'll go away it doesn't work like that procrastination always makes the problem worse not better but that's what these guys did by this time it was late in the day the second thing we do is we pass the buck <laughs> so they say to jesus just send them away just send them away. We have a tendency to blame others, right? And that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, it's their fault. We didn't invite anybody out here to follow you and hear the spiritual word of God. We didn't invite anybody. They're blaming the crowd. You know how you spell blame, don't you? B-L-A-M-E. B-lame. Whenever you blame someone, you're being lame. And these 12 guys are being real lame. Just send them away. They're passing the buck. It's not our responsibility. <laughs> and you just see them saying, Jesus, you see all those people out there? We didn't invite them to dinner. Hey, Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew. Hey, did any of you guys invite these guys to dinner? No, we didn't invite them to dinner. It's not our responsibility. Out of sight, out of mind. Send them away. They're not our problem. And then the third thing we do is we worry, we fret, we stew. We get anxious, we get stressed out. Uh, they went all economic on Jesus and does a cost analysis. That would take eight months of a man's wage. We don't have the money, Jesus. Can you see I'm trying to get out of this? Jesus says, you feed them and they're wanting out of it. Lord, and even if we had the money, where are we going to buy the food? You know, there's no grocery store down the street. I mean, there's not even a 7-Eleven. And, and even if we had the money and there was a store, how are we going to prepare the food, distribute the food, Keep the food warm. And besides, who's got cleanup, Jesus? I'm not in charge of cleanup. If we're in charge of the food, I'm not in charge of... Things haven't changed all that much in the church, have they? I mean, you can just see what's going on here. they got an impossible situation. 
They're procrastinating. They're passing the buck. They're worrying. And here's the kicker. And they're standing right in front of the Son of God who can do what? Miracles. And they're saying, Jesus, it's practically, financially, and humanly impossible. Has God ever asked you to do something impossible? He loves to do that. And He will do that in your lifetime. Lord, you know I don't have the time to do that. The church wants me involved in this, that, that daring faith is going to take a six-week campaign. You know my time, Scott. I don't have that time. It's impossible, we say, we think. Correct? Isn't that so us? Lord, you know my bank account. You know how much money that would take if I were to give toward that mission or this, that? It's impossible, Lord. And Lord, I'm tired already. You know how much energy it would take for me to have to get involved and do? It's impossible. And Lord, besides that, I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough education. It's impossible. Why does God ask us to do the impossible? Because He wants to stretch and grow your faith. That's, what his, that's His job. And so he has to put you in oftentimes impossible situations so that your faith will grow. Because we normally don't choose to be in an impossible situation. But that is where the growth is. So, the first step in preparing for a miracle is to admit that I need one. The second step is to give what little I have to God. In this, little, in this story, we're going to find a little boy becomes the hero. Jesus sent the disciples out on a reconnaissance mission to find out how much food's in the crowd. Who's got some food? Find someone who brought lunch is really the idea. Mark 6.38. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. So go and see. And so they're out in the crowd, you know, talking to people. Hey, anybody bring lunch? Anybody got any food? And... <laughs> This is a crowd of 5,000, right? You know some people were hiding their food, man. I just don't like... Those 12 guys are always asking for money, man. I tell you, I don't want... There had to be more than just a few fish and a few loaves, but this boy was willing. They found out five loaves. Don't think of a big loaf of bread. Think of a little barley loaf about the, the size of a small boy's hand, like the size of a little biscuit. A little barley loaf and a couple of dried fish. A, a boy's lunch. That's what we got, Jesus. And this boy becomes a hero because he was willing to give what little he had. Yeah, I, 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 got, I got a lunch here. Does Jesus need it? Tell Jesus he can have my lunch. And they take it to Jesus. And they put it in Jesus' hands. And... And the question arises, why did Jesus ask how many loaves there were? Did Jesus actually need to start with a loaf in order to do a miracle? No. Remember, Jesus calls things that are not as though they are. Jesus can speak things into existence. He can say, let there be light, and there's light. He doesn't need to start with a little bit of light to make a whole lot of light. He can just create light. Sun, moon, stars, fish, fowl. You know, animals, man, fruit-bearing trees. 
just speaks it into existence. So why does he ask, how many loaves are there? He could have just said, bread for everybody, and manna would have fell from heaven, right? Here's why. God loves to partner with people to do miracles. Are you getting this? God loves to partner with His church members to do miracles. He does it all the time. And so the second principle is, God always starts with what little I have. Uh, Okay, God, all right, daring faith starting, and I have a little bit of time, and I'll give you what little I have. See where it begins? Well, God, I, 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 I've got a little bit of finances, but I'll give you what I have. I've got a little bit of talent, I'll give you what I have. Uh, I don't got much of a past, but I'll give you my past. If my story can help someone, you can use it. I don't know what the future holds, but I've got a little bit of a future left in me. I'll give you what future I have. This little boy says, Jesus, I'll give you my little bit of lunch. Are you willing to give what little you have? And this is a neat passage here. Go to, go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. John's the only one that includes this uh, part of the story. John asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Did Jesus know he was about to turn this boy's lunch into enough food to feed the multitude? Why do you think we did the series on getting to know God and went through all those omnis before starting this series? You know, God's omnipresent, He's omniscient, He's omnipotent, He's all-knowing. Because God knows what He's going to do with every problem you're going to face. If um, you need a miracle next year, God's already there. And He already knows what He's going to do. He's already got a plan. Now, whether or not you cooperate with with that plan depends on you. I love this little boy who became the hero because he was willing to cooperate with the plan. So, I admit, I need a miracle. I give what little I have to God, and then, number three, I put it all in the hands of Jesus. They bring the little boy, I think it was Andrew that brought him, and I put it all in the hands of Jesus. Look at this next verse. Mark 6.41, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them. I want to see this miracle when I get to heaven, all right? I want the best DVD, the best video recording. I want, I want to see this, all right? He just kept giving. So he starts with five, two fish, and... I want to know what that looks like. I got it. Uh, a bad visual in my mind. It just doesn't fit. I want to see how this looks. He included the disciples. Says, okay, I'm sitting in groups of 50. Spread them all out. He gets a plan in order. And then they keep coming to Jesus. And Jesus just keeps providing. He just keeps giving and giving and giving to the disciples to set before the people. I, I think this is the first miracle where Jesus' disciples actually take an active part. 
Don't you want to take an active part in a miracle that God's about to do at Crosspoint? At this church? He wants to use you. Third principle. God will use whatever I give Him. That little boy gave what he had and he gave it willfully. He gave it cheerfully and he gave it immediately. And that's the kind of giving that God can bless. And that is a key to a miracle. One last thing and we'll close. Expect God to multiply it. Expect God to multiply it. Mark 6.42, everyone ate and had enough. Remember, he's feeding a crowd of upwards of 20,000 people. It's not like they all had one little morsel, don't want to eat too much. No, they ate their full. They all had enough. And afterwards, they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. They're going home with doggy bags, folks. When Jesus blesses, when Jesus multiplies what little we give Him, He, he overdoes it. He gives more than enough. Imagine that little boy going home with 12 baskets full of loaves and fishes. Walks in the door. Hi, Mom, I'm home. Been a great day. Uh, Jacob, where'd you get all that food? Where, where'd you get those fishes and loaves? Oh, well, today when I was listening to Jesus, Jesus needed my lunch, and so I gave him my lunch, and he multiplied it. What's mom thinking? Jacob, get to your room right now. Don't you lie to your mother. But mom, I'm telling you the truth. Go to your room, and you wait for your mother to get home, or your father to get home. And don't you come out of that room until you're ready to tell the truth. Hmm. Can you see something like that happening? Would you believe it? That's why we call it a miracle. It's just so hard to believe. But it's true. Fourth principle. Whatever I give to God... I always get back more. If you've never experienced this, if I was the poorest pauper on the planet, I would give and test it and try it out. As a matter of fact, when it comes to tithing, bringing in the whole tithe to God, God says in Malachi 3, 10, this, you can test me in this area. Bring in the whole tithe. See if I don't open the windows of heaven. Pour out on you such a blessing. Your barns won't be able to hold it. If you own a barn. I'll say your bank account won't be able to hold it. Your bank, bank will say, stop, stop. We can only take in so much money a day. You know, the security guards and all that, you know. Whoa. He always gives more back. This little boy not only blessed the lives of 5,000 people, but he ends up richer himself. God just loves to do miracles through people. What we wait for God to do for us, God is waiting to do through us. And so, during daring faith, God wants to turn you into a miracle machine. He doesn't just want to do a miracle for you. He wants to do a miracle through you. Now let me tell you something, folks. We live in Southern California. 
And what I know about Southern Californians is they're spiritually hungry. They're biblically illiterate, but they're spiritually hungry. And here's what I think God is saying to us at Crosspoint. You feed them. You feed them. What are we going to say? That's impossible. We're going to be like the 12. If you say that is impossible, here's our last verse for the day. All things are possible with God. Say it with me. All things are possible with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, if all things are possible with You, then we're praying for a miracle this morning. We're praying, Father, that You will open our schedules, that You will open our, our, our pocketbooks and our finances. We're praying that uh, You will open our, our ears to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Help us, Father, to expect a miracle and then do a miracle in our lives. Because we know, God, if You can raise the dead... You can do anything. And the dead have been raised. Lazarus was raised from the dead. A, little, a mother, a widow, had a little boy raised from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. The empty tomb is proof that if God can raise the dead, He can raise a dead marriage. He can raise a dead career. He can raise a, a dead dream. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross to take away my guilt, your guilt, the shame of the world. He can do that for you today if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior. You can say to the God of miracles, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent. I'm sorry for my lack of faith. Today I'm putting my full and complete trust in You, Jesus. I should have done this years ago. I'm trusting You alone for my salvation. That makes you a believer. And the first thing a believer always does is goes public and puts their Lord on in baptism. If that's You, we pray that You'll respond today. In Jesus' name, Amen.